What's up, boss? You believe now? You, you, hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Oh, no. Do you believe now? Huh? Who said I didn't believe oh, before? Oh, no, no, no. I read through that bull junk you wrote. I, I read through that. I sifted what, through what all that. What did I write? Yeah. What did I write? Oh, no. Come Can on. I ask my question? Do you believe? In what? You don't believe. I do believe. You just answered it. You don't believe. <laughs> Next question. Hey now. Hey now. Welcome to the Sports the Sportscasters Podcast. Season 13, episode 18. It is Thursday, September 7th at 5 o'clock p.m. We are three hours and change away from the kickoff of the league where they play for pay. But today we will preview the NFL season. That's right. Tyler Dunn will be on the podcast today. Tyler is going to take the role of Dr. Z. If you're a longtime Sports Illustrated reader like me, you know that the best issue that will come out every year was the NFL preview issue. And we're going to recreate that digitally in audio format. Tyler will play the role of Dr. Z. I will direct him and we will make predictions and... Shout out players and teams and go over the NFL and preview the season. We did a great job. I love the interview. Love Tyler's site, golongtd.com. Please subscribe if you haven't to that. It's worth the five or six or seven bucks or whatever it is. And then also later in the show, we're going to pay tribute to the champions. Uh, But we've been reading the book Kingdom Quarterback, Patrick Mahomes, the Kansas City Chiefs, and how one swing in Cowtown chased the ultimate comeback. By Mark Dunn and Rustin Dodd. Those two will be on the podcast as well. So we will have Tyler. We'll have Mark and Rustin. We'll do a book club update. One last thing will be my NFL picks. Um, And we'll get started right now with first things first. So the NFL is here, as I said. Um, Basically, injuries and holdouts have sort of dominated the news this week. Uh, Cooper Cup may start the season on IR. Uh, It looks like Travis Kelsey just missed an ACL injury. Uh, but he might miss a week or two or three. Um, Jones is still hold out in Kansas City. Uh, Bosa is not in San Francisco. He signed, uh, so they should be ready to go. Uh, a great slate of games because it's the first week, right? It almost doesn't matter what the games are. Every team is zero and zero, so you know you can watch everything. I, I checked out the YouTube today. Uh, you can kind of see what Sunday ticket's going to look like now and how it's going to work on there. That will be the biggest story of the weekend, in my opinion. How does YouTube handle the Sunday ticket after taking over for DirecTV, who had it for decades? Um, that's certainly going to be my biggest issue, and we'll do a sports media interview with someone next week. I tried for Marchant. Looks like we're going to do him in October. I tried for Deitch. Looks like we're going to do him in a couple weeks. So I'll have to get someone for next week. I will figure that out. Maybe we'll do our uh, our land for that. Uh, Marshawn's partner. Talk a little Orioles baseball with him too. Uh, so we'll see about that. Um, also, uh, the Braves. The Braves won three of four games against the Dodgers in Dodger Stadium, and basically won the you know the National League. 
and you could feel the air kind of suck out of the team a little bit. They've lost three in a row. I think they kind of left L.A. kind of feeling like they did it, you know, and there's still games to be played, and the pitching certainly didn't show up. Spencer Strider's Cy Young chances maybe took a hit yesterday as the lowly Cardinals kind of bashed him around the ballpark. Uh, but he'll have a couple more starts to maybe get back uh, in the hunt. Max Fried pitches today. Hopefully he does what a true ace is supposed to do and just end the losing streak and get them back on track so they can start working on those magic numbers and make sure the number one seed in the National League. Uh, Spoletti's Italy plays this weekend. As much as I've been looking forward to the NFL, I've been looking forward to this. Italy hasn't played, you know, since November. And they played those two friendlies before before the World Cup. Is that right? Has it been that long? No, couldn't have been that long. They played March. March, I think, is the last time they played. Uh, so it's been since March. And, um, yeah, the, the first two initial Euro qualifying games in, in March, the loss to England and then the win um, over Malta. Uh, Ukraine and North Macedonia this weekend. Uh, they play Saturday and Tuesday. And uh, I'll be watching, interested to see what the team looks like under Spalletti. Got to come out of this with six points. You know, four at the very minimum, but it feels like a six-point weekend's needed. I'm looking forward to the Italy games. Watched a little college football last week. Uh, watched a little bit of Colorado and TCU. Was impressed, obviously, by Colorado. Uh, look, at they only won one game last year, so they've already equaled that. I thought they looked really fun. Shade Sanders looks sick. You know, Travis Hunter looks all-world. Uh, so they'll be a fun team all year. I did watch a little bit of the Oklahoma game, uh, which was awesome as soon as Jackson Arnold came in. Uh, he's the future. He's the five-star quarterback. You know, uh, I wonder how long how long the current starter, uh, the transfer from last year who was injured, how long will that be his job? Seems like Jackson Arnold's destined to take the job midseason sort of like Caleb Williams did a few years ago uh, from Spencer Rattler. So we'll see about that. Clemson lost, which is great. I, that's one of my least favorite dynasty teams. Otherwise, it seems like all the big boys just, you know, beat the bad teams by 50 like they normally do to start college football season. Uh, this week is Texas, Alabama is the big game Saturday. I look forward to that. Uh, huge Alabama fan this week. Hopefully they win by 50. Uh, so we'll see. I'd love to see uh, Arch Manning in that game, but it sounds like right now he's the third option off the depth chart. We talked to Stuart Mandel a little bit about that last week. If you listen to last week's pod, all of our college football preview we did with Stuart Mandel uh, there last week. All right, so I think that's it. Let's take a break. We're going to come right back with Tyler Dunn. We're going to preview the National Football League season, the league where they play for pay. Our first guest today is making his second appearance on the Sportscasters. He's a graduate of Syracuse University, is a fellow Western New York native, and is the owner and writer of GoLongTD.com, one of the best substacks in the world. A warm Sportscasters welcome to our friend Tyler Dunn. Hey, Tyler, what's going on, man? How you doing? What is up, Steve? How you been? One of these times we got to do this in person. I could actually, you know, booking you on this show, maybe one day I can actually have a guest in studio. 
Hey, I, that just crossed my mind too as we're kind of BSing about Western yeah. New York from yeah. from Salamanca up to NT. It's like let's just get together. Let's make it happen. Yeah, maybe someday I'll have a podcast like at Fatty's Beer and NT or something because you know that's a big thing now. How you guys do po- your podcast at Fatty's? And I've Ooh, known- we did a show at the NT, the Whirling. World what's the area called? World Tour. Yes, yeah. yes, we loved it. I've known Nick since like the early '90s, like long before he was a a beer guy and he knows my whole family really well coached my brother at St. Francis and stuff so I've known him for That's a long amazing. time yeah yeah be- he's like a beer guy I think he's like a beer emperor at this point yeah right? at this like point he... my god they just opened one in <laughs> Lancaster and uh, it's amazing yeah what I mean hey good for Nick you know he was with the Sabres and then next thing you know he had a bar and now he's got 20 I guess or whatever uh, people like to drink right we yeah, like to drink and it's a, yeah it puts out a good vibe you know people can just hang out have you, this is something I noticed a lot of people do podcasts here. Have you had wing nuts? You know what? I have not had wing nuts. I'm unbelievably loyal of late to a 9-11 Tavern and, and Elmo's. Okay. But I've heard great things, so I probably should. I will say this. That guy should kiss the floor that Barstool walks on. I mean, because here's the thing. Those wings are the Tudors with really good sauce. Is that right? You know, the sauce is very good. Now, I think that the... The house sauce is a little gimmicky, but his straight up hot or medium, whatever you can handle, is a great sauce. I will say that, bar none. But the wings are breaded. Ugh. You know, they're full of flour. That's why they lo- look so big. It's not chicken. You know, it's two and a half centimeters of flour before you get to any chicken. I think that this calls for a uh, an investigation on your part to really let the masses know. Well, you know, my theory is that the reason the guys from Barstool like that so much is because they grew up on Hooters, and it's like really good Hooters, right? It's like if Hooters yeah. had the best sauce in the world. I'm not saying theirs is, but, it, you know, it certainly, it's very good. It's an A sauce. So, like, I think it feels comfortable to them, and I think that people who like Barstool, and I'll admit I like it more than I did 10 years ago, um, like I like the dozen because I like game shows and some of the personality. I, Dave Portnoy is an interesting uh, figure in sports media for sure. Um, but people who love it. They love everything they do. They buy all those shirts. You know, like Barstool is probably a merchandise company more than anything else. Um, but it's yeah. a good point. I mean, it's that it's that brand. You know, yeah. they to their credit. Yep. Like they've built up the brand to a point where. Anything they associate themselves with is going to be insanely popular. It's like, like the pizzerias. I mean, Dave changes yeah. the lives of pizza makers around the world if he comes in and gives them a nine. You know? Yeah. 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 So, yeah. Well, if people want to know the truth on wings, though, you know, they got to go to us. Because... I haven't had 9-11 yet. Oh. I've had every other place that anyone thinks is good. That's the last one because it's hard. It's like it you got to wait in someone's on someone's porch practically when you're there. It's like just in a neighborhood in South Buffalo. Honestly though, and I I just uh met up with my brother there for for wings and we waited I don't know, 2 hours and I told oh. our waitresses I said these are so good. I I would wait 5 hours, 6 hours. Like it really they're they're that good. And you get the fin fries to kind of tide you over. Um, they're specialty, like, I mean, they're unbelievable, the best French fries that you'll ever eat. So they bring out to you a big bowl of those, and, you know, you pound a few Molson's or Labatt Blues, and 
talk, catch up, watch a little sports. It, it flies by, and it's so worth it. I mean, the wings are they're massive, but you got the bang for your buck. To your point, they're not like uh, inflated and gimmicky or a caricature of a wing. Like it, it's oh, the, the sauce is amazing. The uh, the, yeah, the, the flavor, great. I definitely want to have. Oh them. my god, yeah. And I like almost. I like the double dip. You know, that's a unique mm-hmm. thing to them. Plus, you get to see Tim Graham, you know, nine out of ten times. Oh, nine yeah. out of ten times I go there, I see Tim Graham. So if you like Tim Graham, that's, you know, a reason to get Elmo's. Um, Definitely. But I'm a Duff's guy. I, I and, and listen, I'm a Duff's on Sheridan guy, you know, because Duff's on Sheridan is one thing and the other ones are something else. And I think what has happened the last few years is Duff's has had a backlash, you know, because when I first started having Duff's in the early 90s, um, Anchor Bar was the place. People were like, oh, that's where tourists go to Duff's. Now Duff's has become one and the same with Anchor Bar. Yeah. And people were like, oh, Duff's is for tourists. Don't go to Duff's or Anchor Bar. Go to, and then whatever they like, Bar Bill or, you know, 911 or, you know, whatever. The ones that you hear people rave about is like their tops. But I still, you know, I loved it way before anyone didn't like it. You know, when I, when I would say it was the best, everyone agreed with me, you know, back then. Um, and there's other like I, I, barbell's okay. Um, it's not of the top ones. It's probably not my favorite. Um, I probably like the other top places better. What considered top places? Um, Plus, but, you can go to Maine and Hamlin now, right across the street. You know, yeah. A, a couple ex billions they uh, opened up a restaurant. And hell, I mean, barbell. The wait times are are a little nuts, yeah, right? Cash yeah, only. Too. Jump the yeah. shark a little bit. I hey, just if you're in East Aurora, just pop across the street. See, and now that's starting to happen to Barbell. They're going to be the next one. It won't be long. Everyone's going to turn on them, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, but anyway, so this, every August, I try to break down football in a bunch of different directions. I did fantasy. I did analytics, hardcore analytics with Aaron Schatz. I did college. I did whatever. I'll get a play-by-play guy probably. And I always like to do just like a general, like almost reminds me of the magazines I used to read like at the grocery store you know <laughs> that i'd take it off and they'd be like have the this guy you know the the sports illustrated before the year the football preview edition you know i always try to like to do something like that too and the late great don banks used to do it with me um, oh my god great human being don yeah banks. and i i once a year i'll look at the last email exchange we had and it was for this purpose wow and i was he was like i'm just about to get settled so I think he was switching jobs and going out to Vegas. And that's right. Yeah, that's he was right. Like I'm gonna get settled and then we'll do it. I promise. I said, all right, buddy. I'll talk to you then. And um, yeah, he passed. So I wanted to give him a shout out. The late great Don Banks, never to be forgotten. Who was a great man to me here. Um, and you kind of got that slot this year. So I'm excited to chat and preview of the year. I know you were out in what Minnesota or Detroit or something last week tracking down some teams who have you seen in person so far this year i'm curious yeah yeah so i uh gosh i've been to jacksonville uh tampa detroit and minnesota and then next week i'm going to pittsburgh okay yeah what do you think of jacksonville i tell you what uh i I know everybody's kind of coming around on this team but um you know defensively I guess we're getting nitty gritty. Like I don't know. Like we'll see. They didn't really. They didn't really do anything. They didn't really sign any any players that are immediately going to make that team better. They didn't even really draft anybody. 
So we'll see. They need some of those draft picks that have just kind of been okay to uh, to break out. I mean, starting with the number one overall pick, right? Uh, but yep. they're going to they're going to be so good on offense that they might just outscore teams. Um, Calvin Ridley looks exceptional. It, it looks like he like he played last year, like he didn't miss a beat. And it was such a smart move on their part, I think, to uh, kind of forecast the market and see. All right, well, there's going to be a bunch of these. C minus receivers in free agency, Jacoby Myers and uh, Alan Lazard, Juju Smith Schuster, and these guys are getting eleven mil a year. Uh, why? Why would we find a weapon, you know, through that means of player acquisition? Let's let's trade for this guy that got busted for gambling, and you know, the last time he played, it looked like he was ascending into being one of the. Well, if you listen to Devontae Adams, one of the five best receivers in the league, and again, Christian Kirk was worth his. Insane contract. Yeah, Everybody thought it was Ingram insane. Too. Ingram it too. looked good. Yeah. Ingram and, and Zay Jones. That's what kind of brought me down there. Is sitting down with uh, Zay Jones about his surreal God life, really, but life in the NFL from Buffalo and being depressed and um, trying to throw himself out of a window 30 floors oh, up. Oh, right. Bath salts or something, right? Whew. Well, he said that, um, yeah, he said he, he was hanging out with people he shouldn't have been with. And he didn't want to get a toxicology because he didn't want to know what was in his body and he didn't want to get any more trouble. So he absolutely was on some kind of drug and, you know, saying he wants to fight for Jesus and thank God for his brother, because I think that was closer um, to him, to to him dying than anybody realizes, right? Like we we see the police report and uh, we see the picture of the, the window that's busted up and the video only really captured kind of like him nakedly going up and down the hallway. Well, like he, he almost succeeded. Like if you look at that window, man, that hole is the size of like a basketball and a half. It's spider webbed and his brother was hanging on for dear life until authorities arrived. So holy heck, um, unbelievable. And he was really great, gracious to open up on that all. And it's no coincidence that he had as many just clutch, catches i mean for jacksonville last year and in these big moments now he just feels no pressure because when you go through that why would you um all in all i mean i I just think that this team's loaded and and trevor lawrence he's got the urban meyer stench off him for good um he's got the best one of the best offensive coaching staffs around him would not be surprised if jacksonville got to the afc championship afc championship game and even won it so it's like it seems like they spent their money well now we need to see if they drafted well, right? It's like, can they get the next step out of Josh Allen? Can they get the next step out of the kid from Georgia? You know, the number one pick last yeah. year or whatever. That I think that Javon Walker, yeah, Javon Walker, yep, that'll be interesting for them. And then, you know, have we seen, you know, have we seen Top Lawrence, or does he still have another gear, another level yet that we haven't seen yet? Um, the AFC is a beast, right? And and there's been times in my life where it's the NFC. It's kind of cyclical. You know, I remember growing up, it was, you know, <laughs> the NFC's got the 49ers and the Giants and the Cowboys and Pat Summerall and John Madden and every, and, you know, when the Bills lost those Super Bowls, the debate was, well, were they even the second best team in the league? I don't know because, you know, San Francisco, if, you know, Montana didn't get injured on that sack in the championship game, you know, they would have won. You know, I don't know. It seems like the AFC, like, I'm a big Saints fan and I'm looking at our schedule, right? And you could do this sometime. It's fun. Let's just, okay, we'll do it. So start naming from the top, the best quarterbacks in the league? Like, whoever you think number one is, throw their name out. Patrick Mahomes. Saints don't play him. Number two. (laughs) Joe Burrow. Don't play him. Next. Josh Allen. Don't play him. Next. Trevor Lawrence. Okay, they do play him. He's probably the best one on the schedule. 
But anyway, we could go on and on. It's like, yeah. nope, 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 nope. Um, and it's because it's mostly NFC teams on their schedule, right? All these guys, it seems like right now, are in the AFC. Lamar, Lawrence, Allen, Burrow. And I'm sure teams like Buffalo and Cincinnati are incredibly frustrated. It's like, finally, we have our guy here. And the, everyone seems to have had their guy show up five minutes later. What the hell? How do you separate these teams? When you're trying to predict things, when you're trying to forecast a season, you're trying to make a preview, how do you separate these teams? I think it's it's that's the temptation, I think, is to view these teams as prospects through through their quarterbacks. And that that probably I mean, you're probably right. That's probably the way we have to do it because when push comes to shove, there's Patrick Mahomes, you know, breaking his ankle, spray some severely spraining his ankle playing through it on one leg. I mean, he's Herculean, unbelievable talent. Um, the cream rises to the top. I, I, I don't, I don't know. Like, I think that there are teams, um, that kind of took a different approach to team building. And I just find it so fascinating. And the Detroit lions, right? So Brad Holmes, Dan Campbell take over and they, they trade Matthew Stafford for whatever it was. I think two firsts and like a second. Yeah. Good trade. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Jared Goff is the collateral damage. Yeah. Like it's at least we all thought so. Like this, you're you're just taking out his um, albatross of a contract to get those picks, and they're they're just like you know what we'll, we'll deal with quarterback down the road. You know, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. Let's build up this you know monstrous offensive line. Take Panay Sewell. Um, I mean, really, they missed uh, their 340 pound guard. I'm going to mispronounce his name. Big V. He didn't even play last year. Right. And yep. then. You know, they reset the defense. They they go young. They had the youngest roster in the league and then the second youngest roster in the league. And a lot, all these teams are doing all this zone blocking stuff. They're like, you know what? We're just going to get downhill. And we're going to get downhill fast. And we're going to force people to tackle us. And Ben Johnson, he takes over as offensive coordinator and is brilliant with his play designs. So I, I think that there's just different ways to win. And they've gotten to this point now where Jared Goff is a bargain. <laughs> all of a sudden... I'm Jared Goff. I'm thinking, yeah, I know you want a contract extension. I'm going to bet on myself, take you to the playoffs, maybe win a couple playoff games, and I'll get 50 mil a year. So I, I do give credit to teams like Detroit that they didn't they didn't obsess over the quarterback position, and I think they're still in position right now to compete for a Super Bowl. I mean, I, maybe, maybe I'm crazy, but... I think Detroit and the NFC, considering the NFC is so wide open, yeah, of course, and can get there with the team as is. As do I think Daniel Jones. You know, here's a guy a year ago. Um, it seemed like he was just another Dave Gettleman mistake, and he's broken. He's finished. Well, he he gets with Brian Dable. Now they've got weapons around him. The second year together, I, I think you've got a really good thing cooking there in New York, where it, it is one of the most complex offenses in the league. Um, they, they trust him. They tested him in training camp. I heard they, uh, structured practice in a way where Wink Martindale had all of the offenses plays. So he knew what Daniel Jones was going to do. And Brian Dable just wanted to see, okay, I know this play isn't going to work. And Daniel Jones is going to look really, really bad in front of the New York media, but how does he handle it? Like when it's slapped all over the tabloids and people are saying he should be benched. How does he handle it? He just wanted to test him. He passed that test, started seven and two, all the fourth quarter comebacks. He 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 proved that he deserved a, a contract game. extension. Yeah, Want a playoff game. Yep. yep. So I I guess my point is there's gonna be a roundabout way, I think, for somebody to kind of force their way into this 
Super Bowl conversation that, that we're not thinking of really right now. Well, I think with the NFC, and again, I can look at this from a Saints perspective, but I think any almost any team can do this. Let's say you say Jalen Hurts is the best quarterback in the NFC. And that's fine. I can see that. Okay, Jalen Hurts is number one. Then I say to you, who's number two? Okay, and I bet people in Detroit will say, well, what about Goff? Why couldn't he be number two? And people in Dallas would say, well, what about Prescott? Why couldn't he be number two? And maybe people in New Orleans could say, well, what about Derek Carr? I think if he revives his career, he could be the second best. And I think people in, you know, the truth is a few in New York, well, what about Daniel Jones? Look at the way he played last year. Another year with Dable, he could be number two. And I think all of them could have good arguments, right? Yeah. I think that it's wide open as much as the conference maybe has ever been, you know? It and- is. You know, maybe I'm crazy. Maybe I'm trying to be optimistic, but it feels I, that it, way. Your Saints are kind of another team that just thinks for themselves too, right? Like, yeah, everyone tells I'm them, not- "Don't do that with the cap," and we just say, <laughs> right. "No, we're going to do it again." <laughs> they just restructure contracts yeah. and run it back. It yeah. doesn't matter if Andy Dalton or Jameis Winston or Trevor, whoever the quarterback is, they're well. they're going to figure out a way <laughs> to run it back. I think they. I think. If I remind you back to Halloween a couple of years ago and Jameis, which was the plan, the the long, the, the they did actually have a plan. It was Jameis, and they were five and two. It was working. They had killed they had killed Green Bay. Mm-hmm. You know they were beating Tampa when he got hurt. You know what the game against the Giants they lost. That was a they that they that's on them. They just blew it. But he tore his ACL and he was never the same again. Right, so it cost him two years there. Without that injury, we might be saying they had a great plan. You know. Um, didn't work out obviously for that reason because he got hurt and then was hurt again right away the next year. So, but yeah, they they do what they want. Um, you know, Mickey Loomis is uh, is is either a genius or an insane person, right? And um, it's led them to to win one Super Bowl and have a spot and another stolen from them. So that seems pretty good considering the hundred year from nineteen sixty seven to two thousand six they won one playoff game. I was gonna say <laughs> I was gonna say about Detroit, right? If you're Jerry Goff, if you can win two playoff games there. That's more than anyone ever since like the, they haven't won. They've won one since the fifties. They beat Dallas that one time. That's it. That's it. Eric Kramer. That's right. Yeah. And so, I, you know, I think two that and you're immortal like, there. Joe, Joe Shane. So I chatted with him for like an hour, a couple of weeks ago uh, for, for a story at the site. And I, I just was really fascinated by like his response to, Okay. You know, you, you spend literally nine years of your life inside of a Marriott. The half of his marriage, he's on the road and he's raising three kids. And it's like you pour your heart and soul. You sacrifice so much. You finally get the chance from Carolina to Miami to Buffalo to be the GM of a flagship pro football franchise. And I think so many GMs get into that position and think, okay, well, you know, I just busted my ass. I just sacrificed so much. Uh, Daniel Jones, Dexter Lawrence, Andrew Thomas, Saquon Bark. These are all Gettleman guys. Get rid of all of them. Let's tank for a year. Clean slate. You know, let's get who we want. But I, I, I think that really he's right. And his answer was, look, we're, we're, we, want, we wanted to kind of uh, grade everybody individually. And we're going to be judged based off of wins and losses. Yeah, At the end of the day. You don't get the time in New York to just do that, to just chuck exactly. everyone out and start over. You don't have the time there. Exactly. I don't know if you really have the time anywhere, too. Like sure. the, could be. Yeah. The pressure is so year-to-year for all of these teams. The The whole idea of tanking, thankfully, I think is dying. And maybe it was Hugh Jackson and Sashi Brown and Jimmy Haslam and the Browns. I mean, they tanked so blatantly <laughs> that now what we see in 1-31 over two years, I mean, it was a, an atrocity what they did. 
I'd like to think that that was kind of like the last team that is going to overtly try to lose to luck them their way into because you, you try to get that top quarterback prospect. There's no guarantee you're even get that pick, right? Ask the New York Jets who thought they're going to get Trevor Lawrence and then they somehow beat the Rams. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's just it's way too risky. And even if you get that guy, you still got to build a damn team. You st- and, and that's what Joe Shane's doing. They're building a team. And they know Brian Dable is such a good coach, Mike Kafka, Shea Tierney, the whole coaching staff around him, that they can take those necessary steps. So, um, yeah, your Saints, do it. Go for it. Why not? Yeah. And I mean, like, I think that the plan that this year is the year, right? If they don't, if they're not better, I, I don't, I can't see, I, Dennis, I would have, I don't know if I would have brought Dennis Allen back, to be honest, because I watched all those games last year and he is painful. I thought he deserved the job. You know, I thought the job that he did for the defense in the last four years of Breeze, I thought was phenomenal. And I thought he deserved a second chance. And then by like week eight, I'm like, oh, I know why this guy stunk in LA or Oakland or wherever they were. I'm like, this he's terrible. And they didn't he's fire any coaches. coaches. They didn't fire any coaches. They brought all of them back. So yeah. I think it's a big year for for the staff for sure. And maybe even for Mickey Loomis. You know, there's talented guys behind him that are going to either want to leave or move up. And I think if Mickey Loomis's team um, is bad again this year, some of those guys might be moving up instead of moving out. Um, that's one of Mickey Loomis's strengths. The office is always great. I mean, look at all the guys who Saints guys who are GMs elsewhere now, Atlanta and other places, you know, so people move on and move up. So we'll see. Um, but I'm never going to worry about the cap. The only time the cap hurt him was when there was a world pandemic. I mean, as long as a catastrophic pandemic doesn't happen, they'll always be fine. It's always going to raise enough, and they're creative enough, and Mrs. Lo- Mrs. Um, Benson's willing to write the checks, um, so whatever. Uh, the schedules, I try to resist this stuff because the league is so different every year. Like Every year, there's like five or six or seven different playoff teams. You know, yet we we get so I think it's because it's a full year league. And when that schedule comes out in April or whatever, there's nothing else. And you get just sucked into being, oh, man, like the Bills, they got such a hard schedule or maybe like Saints. Oh, it's such an easy schedule. We don't know how hard or easy the schedule is going to be right. Like that Kansas City game you have scheduled in Kansas City is very hard. Might not be that hard because you might get Chad Henney that day because maybe Patrick Holmes is out for a week. You know, you don't exactly. you don't know. So I try not to get hung up on that self. On that stuff, but people like Aaron Schatz, who I love, has created an industry out of that stuff and running those numbers and making those numbers. And I'm curious. I'm going to give you some teams he likes and some teams he doesn't like, and I won't go further than that. And I'm just curious if you like or dislike them based on what you've done to prepare for the season. I like it. Okay. I like it because you know what? I, I, Aaron does a fantastic job, and we kind of use different parts of our brain. Yeah, exactly. In this whole crazy yeah. game. So let's do it. That's why I thought of this. So I'm like, it'll be interesting to see. Agree, disagree. Let's start with the Giants. He hates the Giants. Love the Giants. <laughs> Love them. <laughs> He's got them for 6.4 wins on average. I think they go 11 and 6, 12 and 5, win the division. Um, yeah, I mean, I just, I, I just trust Brian Dable. And we, we've seen him here in Western yeah. New York, what he did with Josh Allen. Not saying that Daniel Jones is going to be Josh Allen, but I, he checks every box as a head coach. He's he's going to trust his players on fourth down with everything on the line. He, he did it week one against the Titans. He's he's just going to believe in his guys. Frankly, 
the head coach that he worked for here in Buffalo does not necessarily operate that way in the games that matter most. Anyways, uh, I think that Good the point. weapons are better. You know, Dar- Darren Waller, by all accounts, is is healthy. He hasn't been the last two years, but let's remember 19 and 20. He was dominant. I mean, what, right there with Travis Kelsey. Uh, he killed the Saints on a Monday night game one year. I don't remember what yes, year that was, yes. but he caught the ball every pass. So they're going to kind of work through him and Isaiah Hodgins and Darius Slayton. And, you know, they got a million slot receivers. I, I think they find a way offensively to give Daniel Jones the support. He didn't have – I mean, last year they were picking up David Sills, like this guy named Marcus Johnson, I believe, who has been like on four or five teams and barely even contributed back in Texas. and got, Like they were really reaching for the scrap heap. Um, they've got legitimate players around Daniel Jones, competence at the top of the organization. And who was the wide receiver you wrote about that ended up really working out and breaking out for them? I don't know why I can't think of his name. I know you wrote Yeah, Isaiah Hodgins, Isaiah right Hodgins. here in Buffalo. That's right, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, all right, what about Minnesota? <sighs> Man. Crazy year last year. Every game was like one score. Then they kind of flamed out in the playoffs. Now everyone who watched quarterback fell in love with Kirk Cousins. He's so lovable in it. Um, <laughs> where would you stand on Minnesota? It, it, it's going to be awfully difficult for them to uh, win as many one-score games as they did. Aaron I, agrees. I do think that- they agree with you. There's there's substance there though. I think that I don't think it was luck. People like to write this stuff off as luck. Maybe two or three times it's luck, but not whatever it was. Um, eleven, I think eleven of the thirteen wins were one score. Uh, that that speaks to a team that believes in the fourth quarter. Whereas Mike Zimmer, when he's the head coach, players told me this like they were basically scared of their own shadow. They're terrified of making a mistake because they're going to get reamed out in the film room it, it was a totally different culture in every conceivable way there's a reason that the nflpa that survey they had with 13 anonymous players that the vikings were number one it, it's just the best workplace environment wow. to be in however you slice it i that, that it translates to wins and losses somehow like i don't <laughs> this is where I, I i don't have the spreadsheet for it. i can't say all right the nutrition is so good that's why justin jefferson had that crazy catch against the bills but there is something to it and, and harrison phillips uh, we were talking about this, and he's trying to make that connection too. Last week, and he's like, "Look, I've been on teams, you know, back to Stanford, even with the Bills, where it seems like the game's over. You go out there, and the starters look to their backups, and they say, you go out there, you know, we don't got no shot. Basically, I'm done, and you kind of check out.' And he's like, "We don't do that here. Like they they do kind of keep a belief late in the games that 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 means something. So I don't think they're going to collapse and be this bad football team." But they'll be around 500 just because I think the Lions are going to be really good. I think the Packers are going to be solid, and the Vikings are going to regress to the mean a little bit. The uh, the Saints and Vikings game, if you remember, in London last year, is a 930 game. Will Lutz hit a 60-yard field goal in the last five minutes, and then they went ahead again. And the last play of regulation was another 60-yard field goal from Will Lutz that he hit even better, but it drifted just enough to hit the upright. And give them the game that they were blessed last year for sure. We'll see, but it might not have been luck. Um, hey, they took the lead in that game and forced Will Lutz into yeah. making that field goal, right? That's not luck. Um, yeah, what about this? Is what I'm curious about. What about the Atlanta Falcons? Where are you on them? I really like Atlanta, mm. and it, it might pain your heart. I know, I know. So, do the, so does Aaron. So does Aaron. <laughs> They're going so counterculture here that it, it could be terrible, right? I mean, to draft 
Kyle Pitts ahead of Justin Fields. Let's let's see how that plays out. Um, to take a running back eighth overall, we'll see how that plays out. But similar to Detroit, I, I respect the giving away Calvin Ridley. Let's see how that pans yeah. out. Yeah, <laughs> giving away Calvin Ridley. Yeah. You're right. Um, but I look. It's it, it will probably come down to Desmond Ritter. But if he's B, right? B B plus. They're winning the division, maybe winning a playoff game. They're just constructed in a way I don't think defenses are ready for. Like, they're going to be unbelievably physical. They've got the highest-paid guard and Chris Lindstrom that's really, really good. They've, they have they drafted Bergeron out of Syracuse, right? Um, they, they I want to say they added Jonu Smith even, you know, at, after he kind of flamed out with the Patriots. Like they are going to get up to the line of scrimmage and run the ball downhill. Tyler Azier had a thousand yards last year. And, and oh, by Dijon's the way, Dijon's probably better. Yeah. Yeah. He's going to be unbelievable. I mean, and it's not just that though. I don't think that the play caller is a dinosaur, right? This is, it's not like Arthur Smith is going to treat it like it's 1992. Like he is one of the more creative play designers in the NFL. I, I, they're just going to find crazy ways to get the ball to all these weapons, quarter all Patterson. So, I'm not sure. Like, look at defenses today. Linebackers are 230 pounds. They're they've been chasing around Mahomes and Allen and Kyler Murray. It's that that's kind of how the league's set up. It's to to go finesse, to go more athletic. I, I don't think defenses, by and large, are prepared to really slow down Atlanta. It's going to be tough. I will say about culture, though. And again, this is just watching a TV show. Man, do they look like clowns around that Mariota stuff at the end of the year last year. Mariota looks horrible, and they look just as bad. I mean, what a circus. That, and I didn't even realize what a circus it was last year because I would have made fun of them. But I didn't even realize until watching quarterback, like, wow, they're just like, listen, we're out of it now. We're going to try this other guy. And he's like, all right, I quit. I'm going home. I'm going <laughs> to. And then they're asking the coach about it, and he looked like, I don't know if you know who, um, their coach looks like, um, Andrew Dice Clay's security guard. He worked with Opie and Anthony then too. Um, he's a, he was a police officer. Why can't I think of his name right? Oh, Club Soda Kenny. The guy looks like Club Soda Kenny, who's just like just I don't know. I I, I wonder about that team. Um, I think they're, but I hate them more than anyone. So of course I'm wondering about them. Well, I mean, but I get it. I do get it. I do get it. Yeah, I do get it though. You look at what they had last year versus what they had this year. If that was successful, why would it be? Um, I also hope that someone like Dennis Allen or other defensive coaches got to look at what they did last year, maybe more prepared this year than they were last year. We'll see. Let me give you a couple more so we're running out of time. What about um, the Jets? Where are you on the Jets? Very, very down on the Jets. Um, He's like mid. He's like mid. He's like nine point something wins, 9.6 wins, I think. Yeah, I think the Jets are going to finish last in the division. Um, oh, I don't, New England better, huh? I don't get the hype. I mean, did anybody actually watch Aaron Rodgers last year? Are we just going to yeah, he blame good. everything on the thumb? No, he wasn't he, good. He wasn't good. I mean, he right, he can trash his receivers on Pat McAfee's show all he wants. Um, when you actually watch those Packer games, guys are open. He either doesn't see them or he just flat out missed them. And then there was that three-game stretch. This is where they really lost the season, where you had the Giants, the Jets, and the Commanders. I mean, three, we all thought, very winnable games. And I I think Aaron Rodgers had like 110 dropbacks 
and Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon, the strength of your team, like going in, everybody kind of knew that they're going to have to run the ball, play play off the defense, all that. They combined for like 50 carries. So, I mean, you're, you're, you're doubling the pass attempts when that's not the strength, and you've got all these young receivers, and your quarterback blew off OTAs. Uh, it's the, He won two MVPs late in his career. But the reason he won those two MVPs, in my opinion, it was this telepathic relationship with Devontae Adams, where they can just go up to the line of scrimmage, see the same thing. He doesn't even need to signal anything. He doesn't even need to audible, verbalize anything. They, they, they see it. You can't really operate that way with even a Garrett Wilson. Um, and not, not to that level anyways. I mean, they, they might have their moments. They might even beat the Bills in week one. I think over the marathon that is the NFL season, though, uh, you know, the line is a major concern. Makai Becton hasn't played in two years. Dwayne Brown is, what, 38 years old. Jason Peters is even saying he want to play for the Jet. Like, that stuff kind of matters um, when your quarterback sure. can't really move. Like, he's he's going to be a statue compared to every other quarterback. And, I don't know, Delvin Cook, the metrics, that you, when you really look at it, he was average to below average last year. Get all excited about that all you want. I, I really don't think the Jets are – are going to be great. The defense does have some studs. I mean, they had their moments last year. They kept them in games. Seems like a good so, defense, yeah. That's true. But but New England has a really good defense. True. Miami's defense you, is going You like be New damn England good. better then, huh? You like New England slightly better, a lot better? I like them slightly better. Slightly better? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let me, let's do some fun ones. Let's say you, let's say you – we go to the sports book together, and you put money on – Let's say we go to we're going to bet on MVP Mahomes, Allen, Burrow, Lawrence, and I don't know. Um, Rogers have odds, and then there's Field, and I bet on the Field. You bet on one of those guys, and I win. Who cashed it for me? <laughs> oh man, that's a great question. Um, I'm thinking of the quarterbacks in my head. You didn't mention Hertz, but I assume you'd throw Hertz. Okay, in that Hertz bucket. probably has odds. Yeah, he probably has odds too. What about Goff? He, yeah, I was just gonna say Jared Goff and Tua Tungaviola. Okay, um, big comeback it, year for him. Well, you know, it's. I think there's always this universal take that everybody has going into a season, and then the opposite happens. And I feel like everybody just kind of assumes he's glass and he's going to break at one point. I mean, the concussions are horrifying enough. You know, I did a two part series on, on Kevin Cobb. It's like terrifying what he went through with his fourth concussion when he was in Buffalo um, and they're playing the Washington Redskins and he suffers the fourth concussion. He's looking in the crowd. The fans are right there and it's just like this maroon and white blur. And he yeah. knew right then I'm, I'm done. So if Tua had, has had, what, the three that we know of? I mean, they kind of hit the one, or they weren't necessarily open about – What one more – We don't. I'm no doctor. One more could him could put him in that place, two more. It, but even in addition to that – He's like LaFontaine going to the Rangers. I'm praying for him, yeah. but I'm worried yeah. he's going to run into Eric Lindros at center ice, and that's going to be the end of him. So I guess what I'm saying is, like, we all think that's going right. to happen. It's or, tenuous, you know, but hopefully it doesn't. Yeah, I, I just think they'll have a plan. I think Mike McDaniel is brilliant, and they're going to have a counter punch to uh, what defenses did to them last year. Tua somehow miraculously stays healthy. 
boom, there's your dark horse candidate. Let's say Bijan spends two weeks in Atlanta and says, I can't play here. This place is horrible, which I expect. <laughs> and he leaves. Who wins the rookie of the year then? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, oh, man. I'm, I'm thinking of the, gosh. I mean, Jameer Gibbs comes to mind. Okay. Yeah. He seems like uh, he's, a lot of hype for him this spring or this uh, summer. Seems like it's built. At first, it was like, why did they pick him? And now it seems like people are starting to understand why, maybe. I do think that they wanted Devin Witherspoon. Um, they, they would have stayed there. They would have taken the Illinois corner, and then Seattle did. They kind of panicked, and they traded down. They still get they get Gibbs. They probably took him earlier than they wanted to. They probably would have taken him at eight, 18 or whatever their second pick was. Um, but I don't know. I mean, they're, they've got a creative coach who knows how to scheme things up. They're going to use him in that Debo kind of role, misdirection, motioning out of the backfield. And Scotty Montgomery, who's going to be a head coach one day, this this guy, players just can't say enough about Scotty Montgomery. He actually coaches A. Jones back in East Carolina, was in Indianapolis, coaching running backs. Now he's in Detroit, um, running backs, and the assistant head coach. Uh, we, we caught up, and he said, look, this this guy, Jameer Gibbs, you know, we, we thought that it would take a while for him to kind of get the pass protection stuff and the mental side of the game, but... He picked it up incredibly quickly. So I think they're going to be confident. I think they'll throw him right into the fire um, in conjunction with David Montgomery. And I, I kind of love what Detroit did there where, you know, we all just assumed that Jamal Williams was part of the solution because he's so fun. Hell, he's been on our happy hours at, at Go Long. I mean, there's not many characters like him. but oh, They love him. In New Orleans. He, he, re- he rebounded from calling uh, Beignets funnel cakes in like six hours because he started <laughs> – trading pokemon with everyone after practice every day like he's he's a personality more than i knew he is yeah oh and it's genuine um hard knocks blew it with him last year because i didn't know about it and i watched hard knocks i knew he was on it but i didn't know how colorful and funny he was he's he's the man but i I think that the lions knew like if we want to be serious like in their opinion i mean we'll see how better david montgomery is i don't know but they, they think he's different and better and then you draft Gibbs. Um, I kind of like it. You know, think bold. Take a chance. Uh, first time defensive player of the year. We're so finally this guy's won it. Who is it? So anyone who's won before is out. The winner okay. this year is a first time winner. Hmm. I'm trying to think. Even so, T.J. Watt has definitely won it because I think yep. he's. I think he's going to be sensational this year. He's one of those players we've forgotten how good he really is because he was hurt last year, but. He, he might be the best player in football. Um, I'm filibustering here. To try I'll give to think you the list. Nobody. I'll give you the list. I'm bringing it up right now. NFL defensive players of the year. You think it's some potential winners while I bring this up? And yeah. I'll tell you if they were or not. Okay. Because we know Donald has won it. Here's one. Here's one for you. Okay. Major dark horse. Um, Jalen Phillips, Miami. He by all accounts, has been a monster in training camp. He's got Vic Fangio coaching him now. The last time we saw him in that wild card game here in Orchard Park, I think he was the best player on the field. I mean, he he, he is a major reason that Miami was even in that game, down to Skylar Thompson as their quarterback, know, and they can't, they can't even get the snap off. Yeah, that was a clown um, show. He is insanely athletic, strong. Good one. That's a good one. And he's and he's got one of the best coordinators now. I, I think that you know Jalen Phillips, if he's healthy, uh, 
easily could be a 15, 16 sack guy. But I think you're going to see the game changing plays too, like the force fumbles, maybe a pick. Who knows? Uh, I'll give you a name in a second. J.J. Watt won in 2015. Since then, Khalil Mack, Aaron Donald has won three. Stephon Gilmore, T.J. Watt, and Nick Bosa. Hmm. I am going to say this. Since he was drafted, I have always said that Marshawn Lattimore will be a Hall of Famer if he wants to be. And for the first time in his career, he looks like he wants to be. Hmm. And I think he's going to have a season people didn't think he was capable of because I've never seen him focused and him and Mike every day are battling every day. Um, and he gets his reps with Olave too. Of course, he's not dodging Olave or anything, just the two Ohio state boys. Well, Olave's Ohio state too. Jeez. We got a lot of Ohio state guys, but I just have always had that impression of him that this guy can be as good as he wants. And when he's been inconsistent, it's because he's been in Cleveland, you know, riding around with a gun in his pocket or making mistakes, just not being serious. He's matured to the point where he knows that if he wants to be the player he wants to be. And I know that's a homework call. I make homework calls like this every year, and I'm fine with accepting that. I'm just saying, <laughs> if you're coming to me and say, give me a Homer Saints call, that's my number one above all else, is that Marshawn Lattimore is ready to be the guy that can meet his potential. And so whatever you believe that is, I think he's going to he's gonna get to that this year. So, I thought you'd go Demario Davis, maybe the more most underrated linebacker in, in the league. Man. I he's... want the Jets to just forever trade us linebackers. Like yeah, once every yeah. six years, send Jonathan Vilma. You know, and six years later, send Demario. Just every few years, just the Jets, send a linebacker over. All right, Dr. Z, this would always be my favorite part of the magazine. Turn to page 58. Dr. Z predicts the Super Bowl. What do you got? I'm right there with you, man. I, I, I did the same thing. And then they would they would put it on the cover of SI, too. I can still remember Green Bay on yeah. the cover the year ahead of them winning the Super Bowl. All right. Here you go. Let's go Cincinnati over. Do I want to do it? Detroit. Ooh, I like it. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, let's go, Ben. I think Joe Burrow will be will be okay. There's, he'll be ready. They don't seem really too panicked. They've been banging at the door here the last couple of years. Um, you know, they, his contract they haven't paid him yet, so it's like they don't have to worry about letting good players go quite yet. They're still in that beautiful window, and they're going to be hungry as hell. I mean, really, if if Joseph Osai doesn't. Ding Patrick Mahomes out of bounds. They they get to the Super Bowl. Oh, <laughs> the refs don't I call holding it. on Logan Wilson two years. So you know we know they're really good. And I, I I love Detroit. I think that top to bottom that roster is is loaded. Now the defense was terrible most of last season, but the whole secondary is brand new. I mean Cam Sutton is in there now. They draft drafted Brian Branch. Um, Try to no, think if they Campbell. ever had a playoff game at Ford Field. I know they played in New Orleans. Had, did that group get enough? I don't think they've ever had a no. playoff game in Ford Field. They played in Dallas when they lost that one. Yeah. Um, in New Orleans. I'm trying to think. In Seattle. Yeah. All right. So we'll see if this is the year. GoLongTD.com uh, is Tyler's site. Great stuff. I mentioned the article I loved last year. My, if I had a power rankings of your stuff you did last year, definitely the, the Isaiah Hodgson stuff was really great. And then it seemed like. After I read that, every time I watched the Giants, he was just all over. 
I don't know if I was like hyper aware of him or what, but it just seemed like every game after that that I seen him. But golongtd.com is the site. Uh, over 16,000 subscribers, which is a lot. It's hard to get people. You know, there was a time when it was like, oh, yeah, four or five hour subscription. No problem. That's nothing. Think about all the things you subscribe to now, and it seems like it's almost a tipping point. You're asking people, well, just come on, one more. You know, it's only a cup of coffee a day. Yeah. It's like, well, yeah, but I have 13 cups of coffees a day already that I subscribe to. <laughs> um, but you've built something great there. Golong.com, something everyone here in Western New York should be proud of. It came from our old backyard. Check that out. What else do you want to mention plug-wise? I know you do podcasting, where to find you on Twitter. Just lay it all out for everybody. Hey, th- thank you, Steve. It's always great uh, catching up with you. We'll do it in person next time for sure. And, uh, yeah, so the website, I, it kind of throws people off. I wish I went golong.com. That was taken. We're golongtd.com. So just like my initials, touchdown, easy to remember. You can yep. uh, hop on the free list if you want or subscribe, eight a month, 50 a year. And, yeah, man, we just try to cover the game through that long-form lens and really take time on these stories. Um be there if you care, right? So I'm traveling the country, sitting down with these players. And I, I think this summer I, I wanted to do something a little different. I did a few more of those like palace intrigue stories. So, you know, figuring out exactly how bad Urban Meyer was in Jacksonville, Matt Patricia <laughs> in Detroit, um, how you got from point A to point B. It's, I just am always really uh, interested in, in kind of what really happens behind the curtain because players are more apt to talk when those guys leave. Um, and then we've got a, uh, yeah, the, the podcast with Jim Monis. So he was the director of personnel with the Bills uh, when Doug Whaley was the GM. So we do a pod every week. And then I'll have some announcements coming out either in a week or two. I wish I could say it right now. I don't think I can. But let's just say we have a, uh, a former player who everybody will know uh, coming on for, uh, for a show this year. And it's Arnaz Battle. It's Arnaz Battle. <laughs> Damn it. How'd you know? Leon <laughs> uh, Lat. Not Leon Lett. Uh, not Leon Lett. A little warmer, I guess. A little warmer. Maybe they played against each other at one point. All right. Fair enough. Uh, I was going to say, to close this out, you know, I have been, the way that I consume media has been changing. You know, I would much rather give my money to you, read your stuff, give my money to Nick Underhill and Mike Triplett, you know, yeah. New Orleans Top Football. That's the best coverage. These guys that are out there working for themselves and working for their family, it just makes sense, right? Oh. I mean, this—that's where the eye—that's that, that's where the the great coverage is now. I just I'm convinced of it. I'd much rather subscribe to four or five things, you know. And I mean, even the—I don't I don't like to put anyone or anything down because anyone in the business, it's hard, you know. Go do it. Mm-hmm. But there's certain things I subscribe to that were really good in the beginning that aren't even the same anymore. Only took a couple years for that to happen. You know, this I think is where the future of sports media is. You know, this sort of a la carte coverage. You know, what do you want? Here it is. Tyler Buss is asked to cover it from a national perspective. And then you have someone like Nick and Mike and Brooke now who are covering it locally. And I'm sure that all over the league there's examples of that. I just don't know them because those aren't my teams, but I'm sure your team has one. So, well, you know what's true too? And you just. You kind of allude to it there, and I, I do have a lot of friends that are beat writers and work at big websites, corporations, all that. They do a great job, but I'll, I'll just—I can just speak for myself. Like having two kids, four years old, two years old, a wife, you know, a family to support. Like, when I go somewhere, when I'm writing a story, when I'm reporting on something, 
Hell, it better do well. Yeah, you have everything <laughs> on the right. line. Yeah, you There's do. There's that incentive. Yeah. Like, yeah. it's not punch in, punch out. I get paid the same regardless every two weeks. It's, you know, you bet, you've got to produce content that people want to pay for to to feed your family. And I love that pressure. Honestly, that adrenaline rush, you cannot you cannot replace it. It's, it's great. I mean, I, every day I feel it and people have been unbelievable supporting uh, go along since they launched in November, 2020. It, it kind of turned that corner where, um, you know, it's not just a venture or, uh, you know, something that I hope turns into something else. No, like this is definitely the forever job. I'm, I'm doing what I love and, you know, what the players, the teams, the agents, everybody, has been really accommodating. Like they, they kind of become approach it. more and more normal. You know what I mean? It's going to be yeah. more and more the norm as you go. Well, these players want to sit down for an hour and talk about their lives. They don't want to do the, you know, the, the, the amoeba in the locker room talking about like X's and O's and the, the talking points that were handed to them by PR. Like they, they want to dive deep into something that, that that's really um, different and speaks to them at a at a different level. So, and people want to read it still. You know, maybe it's not everybody, but there's certainly um you know a lot of folks who'd rather doom scroll on Instagram. And I I get it, but I I will forever kind of zag the other direction. At T Y D U N N E on Twitter, found there. All right, you killed it. The late great Don Banks will be proud. Thank you so much for for doing this with me. Talk to you soon. Absolutely, man. Thanks so much for having me. Anytime. I'm going to tag you off the bulldog. <laughs> hey, thanks a lot, man. That was right. fun. All right, I want to thank Tyler Dunn for being on the podcast today. Appreciate that. Fun time previewing the NFL season. Listen, I mentioned that Night, Mew- Night Moves was on its way out. Uh, just getting way too many warnings from Spotify about that song. And I know eventually they haven't taken down an episode yet, but I know it's coming. So I'm going to audition a few different songs the next few weeks and then put it to vote. Uh, we'll start out with the Tragically Hip, 38 years old. See how that sounds as the uh, in the night move spot. We'll try three, four, five different ones before I settle on one. All right, quick book club update. Uh, real quick, in a minute, we're going to go to an interview I recorded with Mark Dent and Rustin Dodd. Their book is called King Quarterback, Patrick Mahomes, the Kansas City Chiefs, and how once swinging cow town chased the ultimate comeback. We're going to finish that up next. Uh, also, in a couple weeks, we will have back Adam Lazarus, his book, The Wingmen, the unlikely, unusual, unbreakable friendship between John Glenn and Ted Williams. Uh, it went on sale August 22nd, and it's been killing. I'm so happy for Adam, so proud of him, love this book. Uh, Fred, the uh, owner of Freezing Cold Takes, love this book. Uh, him and I have been basically the main supporters of it, um, and really excited for Adam and how well it's going. He's out there. So follow him on on uh, Twitter uh, and see if he's coming to your city because uh, he's doing some stops. I mentioned it last week. Gambler, Secrets from a Life at Risk by Billy Walters. Uh, Armin Contain is going to join us to talk about that book. Uh, I talked to her yesterday, Tia Glassman. Uh, she's going to be on this podcast probably next week. 
Freaks, Gleeks, and Dawson's Creek, how 17 shows transform television. Uh, we'll talk to T about that. Looking forward to that. Uh, different and new and fun. So we'll see how that goes. And then the newest book, Sideline CEO Leadership Principles from Championship Coaches. Uh, Marty Smith, the ESPN reporter and the best-selling author of Never Settle, is the author of this book, Something Different. I told my brother Anthony, who's a hockey coach, this would be perfect for him. Um, you know, he, he's, uh, he's developed a set of leadership pillars that include building vital trust, creating communication, delegating responsibility, sustaining culture, and so on. Uh, so I'll read through this. He's got lots of, uh, you know, quotes from coaches and uh, other people in sports who explain their experiences um, being sideline CEOs. And it'll be interesting to read those and talk to Marty about it. So those are the books for the book club right now. Uh, let's take care of Kingdom Quarterback. We'll take a break and we'll be right back with Mark Dent and Rustin Dodd. Thank you for checking out the Sportscasters podcast. Don't forget to check out my other show, the 24-inch podcast. Hollywood Dave Rollins, Paula Bennett, and myself look back at the career of Hulk Hogan, the immortal one. We do it every other week. We cover matches from the 80s, the 90s, his entire career. We read the news from the era. It's a great nostalgic look back at the greatest wrestling career in the history of the business. Be sure to check it out right on this feed, brother. What's up, guys? How are we doing today? Mark, how are you? Uh, I'm great, Stephen. Thanks so much for having me on. Absolutely excited. Rustin, how are you doing today? Um, doing well. Yeah, glad to be here. Thanks for having us. Awesome. Let's start at the beginning. When did the idea for the project come together, and when did you guys know that the project was best jointly as opposed to either one of you you know, doing something on your own? Mark, do you maybe want to start with that one? Sure, sure, yeah. Um, I, it was about maybe six, seven months after the Super Bowl, uh, this the first Super Bowl that the Chiefs won in uh, 2020, uh, when, when Russ and I started talking about this project. Uh, you know, at that time, we felt that the Chiefs were on on the rise and, and were potentially going to become uh, a team that wins multiple Super Bowls, maybe becomes a dynasty. We thought that because they had Patrick Mahomes, who was a superstar, right. un, unlike, you know, yeah, yeah I mean, the, the best quarterback probably in the league. Um, and, you know, he was unlike any player that, that Kansas City had had, uh, really. You know, Kansas City had had some really good all-stars in the past um, on the Chiefs and on the Royals. You know, George Brett obviously made the Hall of Fame and was a superstar in his day. But, you know, Mahomes was this transcendent figure. Uh, that cities like Kansas City don't get very often, if they ever get. And at the same time, we thought that Kansas City itself was changing a lot. Uh, it was kind of growing for the first time in, in many decades. Um, the downtown had been revived. There were a lot of social movements who were uh, trying to really uh, fix some of the issues of Kansas City's past that, that people had really not thought about closely enough in the, in the prior 20 years or so. 
And all those things were happening, and we saw it as a really good opportunity for a book. Um, and we worked on it together. Um, I we we had like a past of uh, kind of being uh, working on projects together. We we both went to school at the University of Kansas. That's how we met each other. Uh, and and we grew up in um, in the same uh, suburb of Kansas City. Uh, and you know we we used to uh, we'd always like edit edit each other's work, even at our different jobs and things like that. And I think it just like made sense to do something like this uh, together. It was kind of a a, a big um, in some ways, unwieldy idea. And then we tried to wield it. And I think you needed two people to really do it. Um, so yeah, I think it made sense to work together. Rustin is, is Bo Jackson, maybe the only other athlete, maybe at the level of Mahomes in Kansas city. Is that a fair name to throw? Yeah, out? I mean, certainly from a, just like a national, uh, attention standpoint, you know, obviously he was only playing one of his sports in Kansas City, and sure. he was only doing it for a very short window of time. Um, and he also, I mean, we obviously got hurt very quickly, but he hadn't even really reached his his peak in baseball. I mean, he, he had the all-star moment in Anaheim and, you know, and a few other, you know, famous, like, highlights. But he, he wasn't, he had never really even become, you know, like maybe what he would have become if he didn't get hurt. But, yeah, somebody once said um, that uh, – Patrick Mahomes is, if you're trying to compare him to somebody, this was a local broadcaster in Kansas City, said he's Lynn Dawson plus George Brett times Bo Jackson. Um, like and that. that's, that's yeah. almost like what you need uh, to, to, to kind of put into words like what he means to Kansas City. Wow, very cool. Yeah, the Kansas City Royals in 1985, that's the first World Series I watched uh, growing up. That's oh. yeah, the first one I remember. I remember going outside and being George Brett. And then obviously the 2015 team. I don't know that there's a transcendent star on that team, really. You know, I mean, it was a very good collection of players, but they didn't hold it together. You know, I always wonder about the Rose. It's such a beautiful ballpark, you know, and it seems to be such a great market for baseball when they're good, but they just. It's been, what, three, four, five years and in, 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 since 85 that they've been been good i don't know it seems like it should be more uh, let's talk about the draft for a second because i remember as a saints fan i remember the moments before patrick mahomes was drafted very well uh, because a lot of reasons first of all the bills were the team on the clock and i'm in buffalo and the saints were next and i know waking up that day to me it was all about is there any way the saints can get marshawn Lattimore? Um, my whole life, they've never had a cornerback like that, right? Like, just growing up, it always seems to be the problem with the team, you know? Despite the fact that I sit under, you know, a giant fathead of Tracy Porter with his finger stretched out running towards the end zone, you know, the biggest play in team history by a cornerback. But certainly he was never at the level of a Lattimore. And I remember waiting to see what, what the Bills were going to do, and then I remember the... um the Chiefs popping up. What I didn't know is that Mickey Loomis had stepped out of the room, out of the draft room, and went to call Drew Brees to let him know they were going to take Patrick Mahomes, um, that it was that close. Uh, Peyton and Loomis have both been on the record with this. Um, so it seems like, you know, the, the how, it's amazing how different everyone's lives all the franchises would have been if the Chiefs didn't make that move what do you guys know about from the Chiefs perspective how that 
that moment came together? Well, you know, it's funny you, you mentioned that um, because, you know, Patrick Mahomes, he knew that, uh, that the Saints were interested. Uh, actually, I, I, I take that back. There was, he knew the Cardinals were interested. He knew the Bears were interested. The Saints were one team I think he, he was a little bit more in the dark about. Um, he actually gave the Chiefs a little bit of intel uh, before the draft that said, like, if you want to pick me, you might need to get up to 12. Because um, he wasn't quite certain that the, the Saints maybe didn't know their interest level. Um, you know, obviously the stories have come out since the draft about Sean Payton, how much he loved Patrick Mahomes. He went to to watch him in person. He's kind of enamored by his arm and his, you know, his smile and like all these different traits. And, you know, he, he would say that it was, you know, the best quarterback prospect he'd ever seen. The Chiefs were worried about the Saints and they were worried about the Cardinals. They were worried about um, the the Chargers. They, they were curious if they might take a quarterback to to kind of play behind Phillip Rivers and kind of be his, the heir apparent there. Um, you know, but Brett Beach, the Chiefs general manager, he told me one thing that I found kind of interesting, um, that the, you know, the, the, the kind of the fine print on NFL contracts, right? So you have the rookie contracts and then each one has a fifth year option. Um, right. and if you actually look at the, if you look at like the slotting values in the draft, the fifth year option, like the slotting value goes way down from the 10th pick to the 11th pick. Wow. So like if you're a top 10 pick, your fifth year option is much, much higher. Um, so Brett Beach, who wasn't the GM at the time, but he was kind of a, uh, kind of the, a Lieutenant GM under John Dorsey and he, he loved Patrick Mahomes. He was really worried about the saints and the Cardinals because the chiefs were going to try to trade up, but he also knew that like the saints and the Cardinals just had so much more draft capital that if they really wanted to, they could, you know, they could blow ahead of the chiefs into the top 10. Um, but he thought that like, those teams probably didn't want to trade up into the top 10 to take Mahomes because they didn't want to, like they thought that he would probably be available. And also they were maybe worried about the, the extra money that they would commit to. Whereas like they were thinking like, well, if we just wait at 11, we can just get him here and, and it would be cheaper than like, instead of even trading up one spot, you know, with Buffalo at 10. Um, so that, that's kind of the, you know, the very inside football kind of story of the draft. But, no, I mean, the, the Chiefs were, they were enamored with Mahomes and they, throughout the entire process, they, they, he was sort of their guy. You know, John Dorsey would, um, you know, they invited every quarterback in to do a visit in Kansas City, at least all like the top quarterbacks in part because they were trying to kind of hide how much they love Mahomes. And Dorsey was, you know, tr- t- calling around to other GMs and trying to tr- you know, figure out like a trading partner and stuff. And he kept mentioning Reuben Foster's name, like just kind of in passing when he would have these kind of conversations or kept kind of trying to float out there that the Chiefs were interested in Reuben Foster. Um, and so those were kind of the smoke screens they used. But, um, you know, they, they went into the drafts, you know, trying to get Mahomes. They had kind of carved out a plan with the owner, uh, Clark Hunt, to trade up. And, yeah, and it, and it all fell right that, um, you know, once once the Chargers – did not take a quarterback. That was when in the draft room, they, they knew they had the trade with Buffalo and that's really kind of when they knew they were likely going to get him. And I think what also worked out for the chiefs is the saints essentially had Mahomes and Lattimore equal. So they, at their spot once, probably, I guess once John Ross was picked, they're like, okay, well we're definitely going to get Mahomes or Lattimore. 
So I think they didn't feel the pressure to maybe try to trade up either in that sense as well. Um, Cause they knew they were going to no, yeah, one of the sure. two. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm trying to think who I was talking to about this. We were, we were kind of talking about it. it Might've been Adam Lazarus. Who's got a really good book called wingman coming out about John Glad and Ted Williams. We're talking about how sometimes you can't look back and say, if, well, if this guy would have picked, you know, if this team would have picked them, it would have went this way. But I think with Patrick Mahomes and the Saints, it is fair because it's not that big of a jump to think, well, he succeeded under um, Andy Reid, that he would have succeeded under Sean Payton. You know what I mean? I think the crazy what if is, is the Saints have such a great draft class that year with, you know, Lattimore, um, Alvin Kamara, obviously, you know, um, and, and more uh, more guys they picked out that were really good in that draft, and they had such a great season. What happens year two? It'd be hard to turn away from Breeze, you know, after the Minnesota Mar- the way the Minnesota Miracle season played out. So then what do you do? So that's, I think, where it gets complicated. But anyway, he goes to, to the Chiefs, obviously, and change, changes the fortunes there. Now, the interesting thing about the book is, in one hand, it's about the football. In the other hand, it's about the city. And anytime I read about the city, I couldn't help but think that Kansas City and Buffalo, they're not that different. Um, you know, often when I was reading the, the things you guys wrote about uh, your city in the book, they felt a lot like my city, the blue collar aspect, you know, the the hardworking people, the 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 love for the, the, the local cuisine. You know, we have the chicken wings, you know, you guys have the barbecue, you know, the, the love for football, obviously, um, and sport. And I just I felt the connection to Kansas City as a Buffalonian that I didn't expect uh, when I went into reading the book. Did either of you guys specifically yeah. spend more time reporting on the city versus the team, or was everything sort of together? And then maybe also, what do you think about my thoughts about the similarities, just sort of the blue-collar cities that uh, we both grew up in? Yeah, well, it was pretty equal, although Mark ended up writing more about the city, and I ended up writing more about football. Okay. Um, but we did kind of share share the reporting and share the the research and stuff, you know, fairly equally. But it's funny you mention that because we, we really kind of see this book as the kind of the story of all kind of mid-sized, you know, Midwestern-esque cities, you know, because the stories of these cities are, are always very similar. And we, we're kind of telling that, that the story of that kind of city through Kansas City. And it, it is funny you mentioned Buffalo, too, because, you know, there's this unique relationship between the Chiefs and Kansas City that it, it's just hard to explain to people. And yet whenever I sort of explain that relationship, I'm like, well, there's probably only two other cities where it's, it's maybe similar. <laughs> and the first ones that always come to mind are Buffalo and Green Bay. And yeah. Green Bay is even more unique because of the size and the, the connection to Wisconsin and it being a little bit further from Milwaukee and, you know, all that. But I, I actually think there is a huge similarity between between Buffalo and Kansas City, both in the way that the, the fan bases are, but but also just sort of the way that the teams are almost like the day-to-day common language of, of you know, the entire city. Um, and, and, you know, I'm in like in Kansas City, it's, it's like even if you're not a sports fan, and there are, you know, there are people in Kansas City who probably aren't sports fans, but even if you're, you're not, it, it doesn't really matter. It's like your, your life, you still know pretty much everything about the teams right. because, the conversation is so is so daily and it's so collective. It's like everybody is sort of talking about the same things at the same time. 
And it's interesting too. Yeah, and, oh, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Expand on that. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I was just going to say one thing. I wanted to add is uh, I think what's so exciting about Mahomes and and this era right now of the NFL of these last two or three years is when you look at who the three best teams I, I think have been over the last you know two three years have yes, been Kansas, Kansas City. City Chiefs, Buffalo Bills, Cincinnati. and Cincinnati yep. Bengals. Three best quarterbacks in those markets, and it, it, I think it makes the league more fun when it's cities that truly care about football, where it's this obsession uh, and it's just part of the civic character. Uh, it's made for really, really exciting uh, games and, and really exciting playoffs. And and I also think it's great that, that in the NFL, it, it's a league where you can be a huge superstar in a smaller market. Uh, you don't necessarily have to gravitate to, to uh, you know New York City or Miami or Los Angeles, uh, like we're seeing Joe Burrow, Patrick Mahomes, uh, be like the, have these kind of really good personalities and, uh, do it in Kansas city and Cincinnati and, and Josh Allen and Buffalo. Yeah. And I, that's what I was going to mention too, is that interestingly enough, you know, Buffalo gets their Patrick Mahomes, so to speak and Josh Allen, um, you know, the, the last time the bills and chiefs had a battle at the level they've had in this era was Montana Kelly, right. In the, um, in the AFC Championship mm-hmm. game, the, the which was the fourth of the four for the Bills, uh, and now here those cities are again with their uh, now generational quarterbacks, and um, and they've had battles. I mean, thirteen seconds is a game that I think the Bills will regret forever, especially if for some reason they don't get over the hump um, at any point. I mean, that's going to be the one that they'll forever uh, look back on, just because they they had them. You know what I mean? They had him right there. And almost just like as a Saints fan, looking back at the regrets of the Minnesota Miracle and also even a little different in 2018 because that was just stolen, you know, which is a lot harder to deal with when something gets stolen from you like that. But um, what do you guys think about the battles? In, and we'll bring the, the Bengals into it as well. Um, it, it's been amazing to see the, the the sort of triangular rivalry here and the battles each team has had eliminating each other right kansas city gets eliminated by cincinnati then they get revenge last year you know the bills have been eliminated by both teams and really are going to be looking for their revenge but it seems like one of the great things about the nfl right now is this almost and i know kansas city's not quite in the rust belt but a rust belt like city maybe as if we could put everyone together are having this sort of triad of a rivalry and it's the best thing going in the nfl right now maybe yeah, I mean, I, I still think that the 13 seconds game, it's it's kind of funny. I I think it's arguably one of the best, you know, like the, one of the best football games of all time. Oh yeah, um, yes. And yet, because the because the Chiefs the next week lost, and neither team ended up winning the Super Bowl. I I do wonder if that game, you know, 10 or 15 years from now, will have any sort of historical significance. It's it's kind of funny. I mean, I guess maybe if Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes both win multiple Super Bowls and they're, you know, both have Hall of Fame careers, you know, maybe people will remember it as this just all-time classic, but it's also the, that it was a, a divisional round game between two teams who ultimately did not win the Super Bowl. And so I, I do kind of wonder if maybe it, like in time will sort of fade um, in terms of its like... Not it, here though. Yes, but yeah, but I mean, it just from a pure football, I mean, I wrote the chapter about that. And so I spent a lot of time just thinking and rewatching and talking to people about that, that game. And, um, 
it is almost uh, it's almost like unfathomable just exactly what happened in the last two minutes. Um, so it, I, I still think it's probably, you know, arguably the the best, like just purely like the most entertaining NFL game of all time. Yeah, it reminded me a lot of a, a Saints playoff loss to San Francisco, um, where Drew Brees <laughs> Drew Brees won that game three times. I feel like you know what I mean, and then unfortunately the the defense couldn't get couldn't get the stops and. Ultimately, it was Vernon Davis, the catch three, I think that game is called. Saints have a lot of playoff losses with names. Um, I think what's unique about 13 seconds in Buffalo is it's on a long list of failures that are almost beyond comprehension, right? Whether it's, you know, wide right at Super Bowl 25 or the, um, I can't even think what they call the the throwback miracle in Nashville, Um you know the Kevin Dyson TD, uh, music, music, music city, city miracle. miracle. There you go. Thank you. And then no goal in hockey in the nineteen ninety nine Stanley. It's like another named thing that haunts the championshipless city. You know what I mean? And I think if this group never gets over the hump, it will live here in infamy. Because the feeling here is that you know if they can get through thirteen seconds there, they have a home AFC championship game. And you know, despite yeah. well, you know, despite it's, it's the evidence, it was good enough. Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, you you bring up like all the uh, kind of nicknames and these cursed games for you know the Bills franchise, and and a lot of franchises have those. It's kind of been fascinating to see in Kansas City how so much can be washed away right. with uh, yeah. a Super Bowl victory, and and certainly two Super Bowl victories now in the last uh, three years. Because in in the 1990s, like that was exactly how uh, Chiefs fans felt. Yep, I remember. Uh, them. There yep. was the you know like because you brought up that Jim Kelly Joe Montana game. Yep. Uh, I, be- I I believe that was the game Montana went down with a concussion. Yep, um, he did. And and I, Montana he only had two playoff um, years with the Chiefs, and and so that was kind of like oh the Montana concussion game. Uh, then there was the the Lynn Elliott who missed he missed three field goals against the Indianapolis Colts on this frigid cold day. Uh, then there was another game where they played Elvis Gerbach instead of Rich Gannon. And, you know, these things just become part of like civic lore, uh, kind of until they don't. I, I mean, I think like, uh, you know, Russ and I are the uh, roughly the same age. Um, and so our generation who grew up in the nineties where we will certainly cling to those, those games. And when we grew up, it, it was definitely part of us, like this feeling that things aren't going to go right in Kansas city. But it's, that feeling is now gone. Uh, people who are growing up in Kansas City, uh, they just see comebacks all the time, and, and they see this, uh, you know, superstar quarterbacks, you know, pull pull it out no matter what, and it really kind of changes the whole vibe of the city. And uh, I mean, I, I I certainly think that those those kind of more painful memories they they never quite go away, but uh, they they they're no longer front of mind. That's for sure. Yeah, Jeff Passan was the first ever guest on this show back in. 2011 his son jack you know is a great example of that kid who grew up in cincinnati and just knows for the most part the success you know he had the 2015 world series to get him going as a sports fan and then he got mahomes two super bowls you know like couldn't be any couldn't be any better right it's like someone who grew up in boston you know during the brady era you had the brady super bowls you had the the red sox breaking the curse you had the bruins one one you know, the super team with the Celtic, you had all four sports uh, achieve championships during that that era, you know, which is, is wild to, th- to think about growing up there, you know. So, um, 
but unbelievable. Uh, the book is called Kingdom, Kingdom Quarterback, Patrick Mahomes, the Kansas City Chiefs, and how a once swinging cow town chased the ultimate comeback. Could throw this out for either of you guys. Was there something you learned about your city uh, through that through this that you didn't know or that changed something about the way you feel about it or made you love it more or less or anything um, that changed about your perceptions about Kansas City itself through putting the book together? I, I think that, that there were certainly a lot of things, but I, I'll say like the the main theme for me that I think stood out that that I learned and, and frankly made me love the city more is that uh, when you look at Kansas City, just as many cities, uh, when you're thinking of history, there's there's a lot of bad things in the past. You know, there's segregation, uh, racism. Um, there's uh, we we had, of course, in the book we we talk about J.C. Nichols, who was this famous developer who uh, kind of helped popularize and pioneer a lot of the methods that were used to uh, to segregate cities around the country. And but when you look in, in into that past and into the present uh, and, and the ways that those are still kind of influencing what, what's going on in Kansas City as well as in other cities, you also find that there were people who were fighting against it. Um, you know, there were, there's a couple of like names who appear in this book who they might only appear once for a couple paragraphs, but, but they were people who like fought against and made incremental changes along the way. And I, I was just so uh, pleased with like, uh, learn about people who did that back in like the 30s, the 40s, the, the 60s. And, and then today we feature a lot of these kind of like uh, kind of housing activist groups who uh, right, where with the, the city is facing like these yeah. new challenge. Yeah, yeah, they're facing these new challenges about affordability. And yet there are people who are there pushing against it. And, and I really love uh, like I, I think that that spirit has really kind of shown through in Kansas City throughout its existence. And, and that really. Uh, gave me like this kind of extra love for the city. Yeah, one of the notes I actually yeah. highlighted was the rent is too damn high. Uh, go ahead. Sorry. Good. You're, no, no. Well, I was just gonna say. Yeah, sorry to interrupt. I, yeah, I, I don't know if that I, I learned this, but I certainly was confirmed. Like one of the reasons we wanted to do this book was we we felt like Kansas City had this sort of history that was that was known to some people in Kansas City, but more or less outside of Kansas City was more or less underappreciated and. and really unknown to, to anybody across the country. And so we, we wanted to tell that story, but I think that's true of a lot of cities that a lot of these cities, whether it's, you know, Kansas city or Buffalo or Cincinnati or Milwaukee or Cleveland, you know, like they're much more influential to like the total national story than oftentimes they're, they're given or credited for, um, you know, when we kind of tell the various stories about like, you know, the history of America. And those cities oftentimes just sort of get short shrift in terms of, you know, how we sort of explain our own, like, you know, national history. Um, so I think just by doing the book, we, we sort of, uh, at least it was confirmed, like, for me that, like, Kansas City's history is really significant and really resonant. Um, and I think it's, you know, it's kind of worth knowing. Did, did, did you guys watch Quarterback? I was just wondering if, if you had a chance to see it and if you had any thoughts about Mahomes and and his role in the series and just if anything stood out to you guys either way about it. You know, I I, I haven't watched like every episode um, in part because I've been busy, but also just uh, I don't have Netflix and I <laughs> and they won't <laughs> let you share the it. password anymore, right? <laughs> 
I yeah, I I just I don't want to I I nothing against Netflix, but I just I've, I haven't wanted to crack and and resubscribe. Um, I, I should though because I actually want to watch like Breakpoint and a few other shows, so uh, I should. But um, but no, I I think the most fascinating thing about the parts I have seen, and we do write about this in the book, is is just showing you know Patrick Mahomes is total commitment to to football and showing sort of a peek behind the curtain at why he is so such a unique figure in terms of some of his training methods and and just showing that you know this is you know like he's got some physical gifts obviously but there is like you know the way he's trained his body the way he has uses his body in sort of unique ways um it it, we we write about it in the book and it, it is fascinating to see you know we talk to Bobby Stroop, his his trainer who is um you know featured prominently yeah. in the Netflix documentary and yep. some of that. So, you know, those stories are in the book too. And that stuff is 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 truly fascinating. And, you know, also, you know, he has we didn't get too deep into this book or into this in the book, but he has a nickname in Kansas City that I don't think is really like uh, you know, gotten too far outside of Kansas City, in part because it doesn't I don't even think it's totally accurate. I don't think it's the right word for it. But sometimes people call him Petty Patrick. Um, it's sort of like the, you know, the MJ version of him where right, he's just, right. like, he's counting on his, yeah, he's counting on his fingers against the bears or he's, there's a few other games where he, you know, he's yelling at Max Crosby and he's doing all this stuff. And, you know, his, his general image is, you know, more like Steph Curry, like, right. He's just sort of this likable guy who always says the right thing. And, um, you know, comes across as a pretty relatable person, but he has this sort of competitive side where it just like kind of comes out. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, that, that stuff is was kind of fascinating in the documentary as well. But I mean, that is that is true. I mean, like, you know, I think Alex Smith said it's it is it is sort of like MJ like in the way of how competitive he is. And I know that's a little cliche, but it, it just kind of feels true. Any th- any other thoughts on that? So did neither of you see? Yeah, it? Or- no, I. Oh, uh, go ahead. Yeah. I, I agree with Russ, and I actually have, full disclosure, have not yet watched Quarterback <laughs> wow. either. Okay, so, all right, wild. I, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm, uh, I, I, I don't know, I, I have thoughts about net, the Netflix um, documentaries, and uh, I, yeah, how, what, with what some of the producers are, tend to be the athletes themselves, or the leagues sure, themselves, Sure, that's and, true, et cetera. But. State-sponsored media, right? Like, especially the MJ one was definitely that way, and the Jeter one as well, but yeah, I agree. Yes, yeah. and the new Steph Curry one, I believe, too. Um, in Buffalo, I would say as much of a heel as Patrick Mahomes is, there's still a very much a respect for how great he is. But I think the bigger heels are Brittany and his brother. Is that the way? How are how are they perceived in KC? Are they are they loved as just well, part of the Mahomes clan, or do they get a little bit of the of the blowback that you know is here as? And, I know Jackson has been in Washington. They were upset with them about the Sean Taylor thing and maybe some other stuff as well. What you know, what's more fascinating to me is I I live in uh, New York and I have for the last four years. Is um, when I will tell people I'm can- from Kansas City or you know I'm like playing pickup basketball recently and we're talking about the Chiefs and Mahomes and it, how many casual fans do know Mahomes' family like intimately. Right. <laughs> and so it is it is it is like interesting that they are they have become big characters. I, I think in Kansas City it's a fairly 
people are, I don't know if mixed is the right word or just almost indifferent. Uh, you know, I think, um, the, it's, it's, uh, it's also, you know, we, we see, you know, little slivers of it and social media is not real life. And, uh, and so it's, it's hard to, it's hard to like make, you know, direct conclusions from, from just like social media and the things we do see. But, um, I I think for the most part, it's, you know, I, I don't think, people in Kansas City are, are, are too worried about them. <laughs> Anything to add on that? I, I would just add, I, I, I agree with Rustin for the most part. Um, you know, Brittany right now is, uh, she's part of like the ownership group for the, the professional women's yeah. soccer team here, the Kansas City Current. And uh, they're building a new stadium um, right on the riverfront, uh, just north of downtown Kansas City that is really uh, an exciting project. And I, I think there's a, a good amount of people who uh, have, have really enjoyed the way that both her and Patrick Mahomes have tried to uh, kind of involve themselves in the city. Yeah, I would say, too, if I get to have Patrick Mahomes on his team, I don't care who his wife or brother is. He could be brothers with, you know, Mussolini or something. I don't know. You know, whoever. I don't know. Uh the um uh Rustin, I wanted to ask you, being in New York, uh the hype for, for Rogers, uh what's it like what are you getting day to day in the city is uh, that they're on 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 hard knock, so I feel like the last couple of weeks the hype has even and grown now to a national level because it seems like he's doing pretty well there. Seems like he's pretty invested. How is the hype there and how does it compare maybe to what you get on the streets of Kansas City with Mahomes and the Chiefs? I mean, it's always hard to compare any sports hype in in New York City because it doesn't feel like there is more media, and so there's tabloid culture, and there's WFAN, and and it's so always you have split. that. It's always split, right? Yeah, and yeah. so it, it it's that is happening. Yet it almost it seems like in New York City there also is like all these like two or three other you know uh, realities where nobody is thinking about Aaron Rodgers at all. Um, and I think that's like the, the difference between a place like Kansas City and New York is like there doesn't seem to be a version of Kansas City where nobody is thinking about Patrick Mahomes um, like that. That just would not exist. Right. It would be almost impossible yeah. for that to exist. Whereas in New York, you can kind of like there are, you know, there's so many so much going on in New York and there's 20 million people in this the metro area. And like not everybody's thinking about Aaron Rodgers all the time. Um, but. So that that's kind of the the biggest difference, I suppose. But also, I just I mean, I say this as an outsider. I'm not you know from New York or anything. But Jets fans are a uh, like they're a breed unto themselves. I mean, they are a fascinating like beaten down franchise as well. Um, and and don't you know? And and they feel kind of like second class citizens in New York. Um, but that like they are incredibly committed. And so I, I feel like it, mostly the the reaction to Aaron Rodgers just seems to be like. I don't know that people are like expecting it to go wrong, but people are constantly wondering like, how could this go wrong? Or like this, this isn't going to be that easy. Right. You know, it's like, it's like that kind of feeling. And generally speaking, it's jets, Mets, Islanders, you know, Knicks are usually everyone is Knicks. That's the one that's not really split. And then it's giants, Yankees, Rangers, usually, um, that's how it tends to go. So you could see being Jets and Mets, how those poor people have been um, uh, tortured, <laughs> tortured. Uh, Mark, one last one for you. Uh, what yeah. what's what's new with the Chiefs this year? I mean, is it just more of the same? 
Uh, is anything jumping out? I got a chance to watch them. Uh, although, you know, I mean, what do you what do you really see in week one of the preseason, I guess? But um, it's just another year of the, the machine and being one of the, if not the favorite for the bowl, right? Is there anything jumping out in camp this summer or anything that feels different or the same? What about the 2023 Chiefs? There's one big story that, that's been out of camp that is, you know, has made national news, I'm, I'm pretty sure, which is Chris Jones uh, has been a holdout. Yeah, He was arguably the best, you know, arguably the best defensive player in, in the entire league last year. And there's no question that the Chiefs will, will miss him if, if they don't agree to terms. I, I, I think um, the last few years, the Chiefs defense has, has not been great, right? I, I think it's maybe been top 10. Uh, maybe once uh, when Mahomes has been starter. Otherwise, it's been kind of an average defense and, and maybe even below average some of the years. So uh, I think people are pretty concerned um, if, if they don't have Chris Jones. There's obviously always a balancing act when you have a superstar quarterback uh, where it's kind of like, okay, who do we sign and who do we get rid of so we can get more prospects? Uh, you know, not really prospects, but but just kind of cheaper players who can just kind of fill in uh, fill in the holes, which is, you know, what they did with Tyreek Hill uh, when they didn't resign Hill and just got um, a, kind of like two or three different wide receivers to kind of just fill in there. And, and it worked. But I think that it's going to be much harder to do that with Chris Jones. And I, I certainly think the majority of fans are, are concerned as well. And it's obviously just preseason, but, you know, that first team defense was pretty rough against the Saints last week. So that's really what's really hovering over this team. But I, I think either way, that last year provided validation that when Mahomes is on your roster, good things are probably going to happen because there was a lot of concern about whether the Chiefs could replace Tyreek Hill. There were some national prognosticators. I I, I don't know that it was all that many, even though I think the Chiefs were acting like it was all of them who were picking, uh, you know, the Denver Broncos or the, uh, Los Angeles Chargers to win the division. Yeah. Yeah. Not many. Right. And, yeah, but I, I think it, it got replayed over and over. <laughs> but uh, so that that I, I think that this year it is sort of the everyone has more faith that like okay it's Mahomes things are going to be okay. But that said, everyone's a little worried about Chris Jones right now. Is is that is there is what's the gap right now? Like are they? He's going to lose like three million dollars in holdout fees, but I always feel like that ends up getting swept away if you actually re-sign, right? Um, usually. Uh, but where, where are they at? Is this is there any chance it's resolved? Or I'm sure there's a chance, but like, does it feel like something that's going to last the season? Well, I mean, I'll, I'll preface this by saying I don't have any sort of inside knowledge on the situation uh, n- because we don't we don't cover the Chiefs right. on a, like a day-to-day beat level. Um, I mean, he's under contract, right? So for this year, and um, mm-hmm. so I, I think it's will be resolved for this season you know the question for the Chiefs going forward is if you know I presumably Chris Jones is going to play this season and then he will either you know uh you know go you know into free agency or the Chiefs will you know sign him but most likely if he plays this season on the last year of his deal he's he you know very likely could be signing elsewhere after the season so I mean it it could hurt the Chiefs in the long term I think in the short term like this season as long as Chris Jones gets into you know camp and back in the fold, you know before sometime before week one, uh, 
I, I you know, I think they'll be, they'll be okay. But, um, so yeah, I mean, there's a lot of question marks because he's under contract for this year, but he's not under contract, obviously beyond that, the chiefs aren't in position to trade him now at this point. Um, so that they're likely are not going to do that. So, uh, I mean, there are a lot of questions, um, and then not a lot of answers, but, you know, I mean, the biggest gap reportedly is just that there's a significant gap between Aaron Donald and, um, you know, Quentin Williams, who's the second highest paid defensive tackle. And Chris Jones wants to be paid closer to Aaron Donald than Quentin Williams. And I think there's, you probably might know better than I would, but I, I think it's like about $8 million gap. That sounds um, about right. Yeah. And so you, yeah, so you could say, oh, we'll just split it in the middle. I think that would be put, you know, Chris Jones somewhere in the $27, $28 million range. Um, he wants to be, by all, all reports, closer to 30. So, um, yeah, so either something's going to have to give or um, the Chiefs are going to hold tight. And it seems like Chris Jones would play this season. And then who knows what would happen after that. Bruce Smith used to always do this back in the 90s with the Bills. And it's just because, like, he didn't want to go to training camp. So there could be some of that, too. You know what I mean? He could just figure, I don't want to get injured at training <laughs> camp at the very least. You know what I mean? Just, I'll wait it out then. Well, I mean, I, I yeah. 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 I mean, I definitely think, like, from Chris Jones' perspective, he's he's holding out because he wants a new contract, for sure. Um, but there is really, like, that little downside for him, you know, so he comes in, like, you know, the last two weeks of camp or, the like, you know, not being in St. Joe, which is where they have camp, you know, is also now they're in Kansas City. He could come in and start practicing. He wouldn't have to spend two weeks in a dorm in St. Joseph, Missouri. So yeah, there's no little downside for them for, to hold out aside from the money he, you know, was losing. And, um, he obviously made the calculation that he preferred the holdout to, you know, the, the, the daily fines he was accruing. All right. The book is called kingdom quarterback, Patrick Mahomes, the Kansas city chiefs and how a one swing in cow town chased the ultimate come back the authors are mark dent and rustin dodd you can find them on twitter m dent oh five and r-u-s-t-i-n-d-o-d-d on twitter the book joe Piznanski, who was on the last episode of the show says the remarkable history of a thoroughly american city and its pathway to the center of professional football uh, so that's the book it's out august 22nd although i think by the time i post this august 22nd was like yesterday or two days ago, something like that. So it should be available wherever books are available. Guys, do you have anything else you want to mention plugs-wise in terms of where to buy it or when to buy it or anything else in terms of the book or anything else you guys want to promote? No, no I, not I think, necessarily. I think we're all good. Do you have any questions for me? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, what do you uh, what do you think about Patrick Mahomes? <laughs> Well, I think in retrospect, I think I wish he would have been a saint, not a, not a chief, right? You know what I mean? Like, although I was so loyal to Breeze that I I didn't, it just, you know, I wanted Lattimore. I, I was pretty zoned in on Lattimore. Uh, but I think Mahomes is going to go down as an all-time great. And I'm happy for Richard Christie. You know, I'm a big uh, Howard Stern Show fan, even though I don't listen that much anymore. I miss, listen mostly to the catalog. But, I mean, Richard Christie's been in tears professing his love for Mahomes, and I'm glad for the people of Kansas City. You know, why not? Good for them. Yeah, so, that's funny. I, I sure. sent a book to Richard recently. Uh, oh, he must be so, so happy. Yeah. Thank you. He's, yeah. a, he's a regular at a, at a Chiefs bar in, in New York, um, yeah. In Queens. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, well, uh, he's 
hopefully, I don't know if the book has arrived yet, but it's, it's on the way to the Howard Stern show. So hopefully he gets it soon. Yeah, and his wife is a big Eagles fan, so that must have been some Super Bowl last year. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I haven't asked him about that. Yeah, I think he, he watched from the basement or something I think I saw and felt bad about cheering. Um, but Rich, if you haven't heard Richard Christie call Tradio, I would Google it. It's one of the funnier things of all time. Thanks, guys. I appreciate you. I appreciate this. Good luck with the book. Yeah, oh, appreciate you. you. Thanks, Stephen. Bye. All right, I want to thank Tyler Dunn, Mark Dent, and Rustin Dodd for being on the podcast today. Don't forget you can hear this episode and all episodes of the Sportscasters on our SoundCloud page. It's soundcloud.com slash sports-casters. Twitter is at sports underscore casters. Email the sportscasters at gmail.com. At sportscasters for picture of Paula on the first day of school. And if you can leave a five-star review on Apple or Spotify, I appreciate that. Don't forget to check out the 24-inch podcast. Episodes available on the Sportscasters feed on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher. At 24-inch podcast on Twitter. At 24 underscore inch underscore podcast on Instagram. 24-inch podcast at gmail.com. Search 24-inch podcast and join our group on Facebook. All right, one last thing for me today. NFL predictions time, and we've been doing this. Uh, for 13 years now, I guess, however long we've been doing the show. And uh, stay tuned for my Super Bowl prediction because it is the same as it's been the last 13 years, however long. All right, let's start with our division winners and playoff teams. We'll start in the NFC. I got the Buffalo Bills winning the East. think they will hold off the Patriots and the Jets and the Dolphins. I'll have the Bengals winning the North. Some people have soured on the Bengals. I like them the most this year. Uh, Jaguars are win the South comfortably, and I have the Chiefs winning the West again. The three wild cards, I have the Jets, the Ravens, and the Broncos. In the North, I have the Cowboys winning the East over the Eagles by a game. I have the Vikings edging out the Lions in the North. The Saints easily winning the South, and the 49ers winning the West with the Eagles, Lions, and Seahawks. All making it. Let's give out some awards. Defensive Rookie of the Year, I got Will Anderson, Jr., Houston, from Alabama. Uh, They wanted him bad, got back into the round to get him. I think he's going to have a fantastic season, be a great pro. Will Anderson's my pick there. Offensive Rookie of the Year, Anthony Richardson. You didn't think I was going to pick a Texas guy, did you? No, we'll go with Anthony, Anthony Richardson, starting from day one in Indy. I, I like him. I think he could be good. Fantasy people like him. Why not? I'll give the MVP to Joe Burrow. I think it's his year for that. Like I said, I like the Bengals. And I'll give the offensive player to Jamar Chase. I think he's seen what his former teammate Justin Jefferson did last year, and it's his turn this year. Jamar Chase there. And then for defensive player, uh, we'll go with TJ Watt, um, who is the best player on defense in the NFL if he's healthy. Um, I think Donald's a little bit past his prime, so I think T.J. Watt has taken over over that title. All right, Super Bowl 
Uh, Super Bowl's tough. Um, I considered a lot of different teams, uh, but representing the AFC, I selected the Denver Broncos to go on a Cinderella run to face the New Orleans Saints in the Super Bowl. The Saints winning, and Derek Carr is your Super Bowl MVP. MVP. 